So I want to read for us Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. This is what the scripture records. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that's going to frame our time together in the text in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, and it's this truth. Jesus will continue building His church, and His church will continue to thrive. Jesus will continue to build His church, and His church will continue to thrive. So as we talked about that math equation, two questions plus one confession equals three promises. I want us to walk through the text and identify those this morning. I want us, in the context of coming into this new building, of being the church gathered here at North River, I want us to be reminded of the reality that it is Jesus who is building His church. Let's look, beginning at the first question that Jesus poses to His disciples. Look at verse 13. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He turned and He asked His disciples a question. Now let's frame this question in the context of what's going on in the book of Matthew, in Jesus' ministry up until this point. In fact, Jesus had performed a number of miracles at this point during His ministry. His disciples were looking and they were watching Him as He was teaching and as He was healing and as He was performing miracles. And they began to talk among themselves and even confess at times there is something unique about Him. He is from above. He can do things that none of us can do. He must be sent from heaven. In fact, as Jesus was 
walking throughout his ministry and healing people, they would look and say things about Jesus like, who has authority like that? Who can teach like that? Who can speak and the winds and the waves obey their voice? So Jesus turns and looks at his disciples and asks them this first question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's an interesting question. Jesus, in the context of His ministry, with those closest to Him, asks them this question. Who are people saying that I am? Disciples, what's the word on the street? What are you hearing? What are the people saying? Jesus gets a response from His disciples. Verse 14, some say John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus to proclaim that the Messiah was coming, the Savior of the world, and he had just recently been killed by Herod. And they say some are saying that you're John, come back from the dead. Others are saying that you're Elijah. And then others are saying that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. See, the people had a pretty good idea that when you begin to heal people, when you begin to perform miracles, when you teach with authority, they start looking and saying, He's not like us. God evidently has sent Him. Maybe He's one of the prophets like we had in the Old Testament. Maybe He's even John the Baptist come back from the dead. You know, as we think about the question that Jesus poses, it's a good question for us to think through. Who do people today in our culture say that Jesus is? Some look and they say that Jesus is a wonderful teacher. He had some incredible things to say. That He was concerned with the poor and the disenfranchised and that we like Jesus because of that. Some look at Jesus and say, you know, He's one way to get to God. And as we think about that, people have their opinions of who Jesus is. In the same way that in the text we see that those in the first century, as Jesus was walking among them, had ideas about who Jesus was. I want you to know that Jesus doesn't leave His disciples with question number one. He asks question number one, I believe, to ask question number two. It's the question behind the question. Question number one, who do people say that I am? Question number two, I want you to notice what Jesus asks in verse 15. But who do you say that I am? It's a different question. You can speculate about the first question. 
you can say in the first question, well, the word on the street, Jesus, is people think this is who you are. Same thing holds true in our culture. People look and have opinions about who Jesus is. And so we can sit down and have a discussion and say to one another, well, who do people think Jesus is? And we can answer those questions. But that's not the most important question. The most important question Jesus turns and asks His disciples is this. But who do you say I am? See, church, when it all boils down to it, it doesn't matter what the world thinks about Jesus. It doesn't matter who they say Jesus is. What matters is who you and I say Jesus is. So the question that Jesus asked His disciples pierces in beyond the noise of the culture to their hearts specifically. Who do you say the Son of Man is? Jesus says, who am I to you? I want you to notice one of my favorite disciples, Peter, answers. Peter responds with this confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's response. is declaring that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Write that in your Bible. Christ is a title. Christ is the reality that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah who has come to this earth. When Peter declares that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Christ, he is saying about Jesus, you are the one we have been waiting for. So from all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God made a promise after Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden and destroyed their relationship with Him. God said to them, I am going to send one who will crush the head of the serpent of Satan, who will make it possible for you to have a relationship with me once again. Peter's declaration, his confession in this text is that Jesus is that person. You know, it's interesting when C.S. Lewis discussed this context about what's going on here and in our culture. C.S. Lewis made this statement that there's really only three possibilities when it comes to Jesus. Possibility number one, Jesus was a liar. That Jesus declared Himself to be God, that He declared Himself to be the Savior of the world, and He just lied about it. He was making it up so that people would follow Him. So either Jesus is a liar or Jesus is a lunatic. He's crazy. 
Something's wrong upstairs. He thinks that he's the Messiah, but he's really not. And then here's the third option. He's Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is who He claimed to be. He is who Peter declares Him here to be. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responds in verse 17. He answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Insert Michael's commentary here. Peter, you're not smart enough to get this. You're not the sharpest tool in the shed. This revelation, this understanding came from my Father. He opened your eyes so that you would see that I am the long-awaited Messiah. I am the Savior of the world. Your eyes have been opened to see the truth of who I am. So let's ask this question of ourselves. Have we, individually, made this same confession of who Jesus is in our lives? Have you ever taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ, declaring that He is the only one who can save you from your sins? You see, as we gather here this morning, the building's great. The air conditioning is cold. Amen? I see some of you nodding off. The seats are comfortable. <laughs> but there's one thing that matters today. Have you personally, in your heart, declared that Jesus Christ is the Savior of your soul? Have you ever taken that step? If you haven't taken that step, I can think of no better time and no better place than today of taking that step. Maybe you need to talk with someone after the service. I'll be more than happy to talk with you or to put you in touch with someone who can talk with you about the reality of who Jesus Christ is. That Jesus Christ is not just a good teacher, but He is the Savior of your soul. He can save you from your sins. He can make it possible for you to have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. In light of this confession, Jesus makes three promises beginning in verse 18. So two questions plus one confession equals three promises. Church math 101 right here. Notice the first promise that Jesus makes in verse 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now we ask the question, what rock is Jesus talking about? 
He's talking about the rock of the confession that Peter just made. Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. You are the Savior of the world. You are the only one who can save me from my sins. And Jesus says, that is the foundation upon which I will build my church. So for you and for I who are gathered here today, as we sit, as we worship, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your life is built on the firm foundation of the confession that you made that Jesus Christ is your Savior. In fact, that confession that we make with our mouths, that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that He has saved us from our sins. That confession is what unites every single believer for all of history together in one family. So even as we prayed this morning for a church not far from here, we join in praying for them because we're not in competition with other churches. We're the same body of Christ. We are all built on the same foundation of Jesus Christ as our Savior. Notice what Jesus says about His church. That will be the foundation upon which He builds. Interestingly, he doesn't say, we're going to build it together. Jesus says, I will build. I in the Bible means I. Jesus doesn't share his glory with anyone. His glory is for himself. Jesus here says to his disciples, I will build, notice, the next qualifier, my church. So North River, this isn't our church. This isn't my church. This is Jesus' church. And Jesus has built up His church and Jesus will continue to build His church here. Not only does Jesus make the promise that He will build His church, notice the second promise that Jesus makes in verse 18. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know that we are in a spiritual battle. We know that we are fighting an enemy. But I want you to notice Jesus' confidence and Jesus' promise here. Jesus knows that because of His death and His resurrection, there is no question of whether or not His church will succeed. Jesus' promise is that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. Think about that for just a second. Just put yourself in the shoes of believers throughout all of history who have experienced persecution, who have been killed for their faith, Jesus' promise, even in the midst of difficulty, is that His church will move forward. His church 
will advance. The enemy has no authority to stop what he started. So churches, we gather, we join with the believers from thousands of years ago to the believers gathered around the world right now with one declaration, Jesus Christ is Lord and He wins in the end. That's the promise that Jesus makes here. That His church will continue to thrive. That the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So as we look at our own church, as we think about the last 10 years of ministry together, as we think about the difficulties, as we joked about setting up and tearing down, as we look over the last 30 weeks, church, 30 weeks. I haven't preached a full sermon in 30 weeks. 30 weeks. Pastor Scott told me that this first microphone had 17 hours on it. This one's got about 30 minutes. Is that what you're telling me? But church, for the last 30 weeks, we have walked through a difficult season. Our nation, our world has walked through a difficult season. Season. But you know what hasn't suffered? Jesus' church. Why has it not suffered? Because he said he would build it. And the gates of hell and a pandemic will not come against it. Lives will continue to be transformed. People will continue to meet Jesus and their world turned upside down as a result. Let's look at the third promise that Jesus makes here. Verse 19. To Peter, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, or whatever you forbid on earth, shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose or permit on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus says, not only will I build my church. Not only will the gates of hell not prevail against us, but here is where we as the church come into play. Where we as His people who are gathered together find our purpose, find our identity. He says to us, to His church, here's the keys. Here's the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom means that we are His agents here on this earth who are tasked with the responsibility of sharing with everyone else what He has done and who He is. I want you to notice the last verse in verse 20. Jesus tells His disciples, Don't tell anyone that I'm the Christ. It wasn't his time. Wasn't ready yet at this point to unveil all that was to come. 
But as we've been walking our way through the book of Acts over the last number of months together, we see that Jesus, after His death on the cross, after His resurrection, and prior to His ascension to be with the Father, He gives His disciples a different responsibility than the one here. Here, Jesus says, don't tell anyone. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, tell everyone. Tell everyone who I am. Preach the gospel. Share the truth of who I am with everyone. Church, that is the reason that we are gathered here today. As Pastor Scott prayed earlier, we are gathered here so that we can leave here and do what God has called us to do. We gather here together so that we can be encouraged by God's Word. We can be encouraged with fellowship together. And then we can do what God has called us to do. That is to fulfill His mission of making disciples of all nations. North River Church exists along with every other gospel preaching church to lift high the name of Jesus so that people will see and believe that He is the Savior of their souls. So as we gather, as we worship, as we begin our ministry in this facility, we begin seeing the promises of Jesus fulfilled. He will build His church. He will continue to build His church. Regardless of what may come, the schemes of Satan will not prevail against His church. And you and I are called together to do exactly what He told His disciples to do before He left this earth. And that is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others so that they too will trust in Him as their Savior. This first week, may we be reminded of exactly what Jesus has called us to do. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? As our worship team makes their way back up. I want to ask a very pointed question right now. Who do you say that Jesus is? Have you ever come to the place in your life where you declared like Peter did that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of your soul? Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Him, received the salvation that His death, His burial, His resurrection provides for you? If you've never taken that step, you have an opportunity today, even as we sing, right where you're standing, to make that confession.
a Savior. today. Maybe as we gather here this morning, you have taken that step of trusting Jesus as your Savior. And you want to take this opportunity just to thank Him for what He's done for you. To praise Him for the promises that He made. The promises that He kept. The promises that we standing here and sitting here today are recipients of. That His church will be built. That the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that we join Him in the mission of His kingdom. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You once again for the reason that we gather. And that is we confess that Jesus Christ is the Savior. That there is no other way to get to you except through you. So for one who may be here and has never taken that step, would you help them now take that step? Open their eyes like you did with Peter. Help them see the truth. For your church who is gathered, those who've taken that step of trusting Jesus as their Savior, would you help us to celebrate your faithfulness, that you keep your promises, that we have the joy of joining with you in your church being built joining with you in the victory that's already been secured. God, continue to use North River Church. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and would you sing with us?